Um, we're not going to read the entire story of Elijah today, but we're going to look at certain aspects of his life. Um, his life is very significant. This is a, a character that really resonates with me, I think, because God used him in great ways and he had great faith. But then at the same time, there were a lot of moments where uh, he was freaked out, like I tend to be sometimes. And so maybe that's why he means a lot to me. But some of the themes that we're going to see uh, in his story today are boldness, uh, holiness, standing for what's right according to God, even when nobody else is, um, and also the importance of, of being decisive, the importance of decision. How many of you, by show of hands, would qualify yourselves as decisive people? You're a decisive person? If you're still deciding whether to put your hand up, that <laughs> says something. So what I want to do today is instead of sharing a story about Elijah's life um, or give a Bible study on his life, I want to try to bring us to a place of decision. Because some of us, including myself, need to come to a place of decision, and, and I believe that's the primary purpose of this story today. So we read in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, this is actually the first time that we hear about this character, and this is what the Bible says about him, some biographical information. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Cool. So we know a few things about this guy now. He's from Tishbe. That's helpful. Uh, we know he's got such a direct line to God. He speaks directly to God that he can speak and God will turn off the showerhead of heaven. That's pretty powerful. Um, not like a weatherman, but literally the rain stops for years. Uh, and so this prophet from Tishbe, this Tishbite, named Elijah. His name in Hebrew, it's pronounced Eliahu you got to say it with some phlegm. And uh, Eliyahu literally means, my God is Yahweh. That's what it means, my God is Yahweh. So anywhere Elijah went, anytime his name was spoken, anytime he introduced himself, it was like he was telling people, my God is Yahweh. My God is the one true God. My God is the living God. I think that's awesome. And we know very little uh, about where he came from, but we know what he said, and he said a lot of things as a prophet of God. Um, the Bible gives us a lot of insight into the different miracles that he performed, um, but we're not going to talk about those. You can read those in chapter 17 this week if you want to read up on that. We're going to go all the way to chapter 18 for a specific story today. And the Bible says this, after a long time in the third year. So at this point, what Elijah has spoken has come to pass. He spoke that it was not going to rain in the land for a while, and now it's been three, three and a half years. We find out later in the book of James, it's been three and a half years that it has not rained. And so we see kind of his human vulnerability, but also his divine ability to hear from God. This guy hears from God, and then he responds to what God says. And so let me read it again. It says, after a long time. And so maybe there's someone here today that feels like you've been in a funk for a long time. Maybe you've been struggling with the same addiction for a long time. You've been having the same hurt that's overpowering you for a long time. Maybe you've been struggling with the same battles for a long time, and it's time to move on from that. And so everybody say, long time. <laughs> After a long time. Because, you know, we, we don't need to think that we have a quick fix God. I want to point that out. Sometimes he does. But often more times it's not quick fix. That's not how he operates all the time. And so if the Bible says that he let the land go without rain for three and a half years, um, by the way, these were his people. These weren't 
people he didn't care about. These weren't people that he didn't know. These were his chosen people that he turned the rain off on and allowed them to go into this serious drought um, where they were struggling. Um, By the way, Elijah, he's a man just like us. He's not some superman. He's a man just like we are. And we're going to learn a little bit about the kind of people we should be from his life today. But, you know, when we read the Bible, the, the more important thing to learn is what is God like? That's what the Word of God speaks to us about. What is God like? Who is God and, and, and how does he call us to live? And, and the Bible says there was a drought. And so after the third year of the drought, at the very end of the drought, I love this verse, verse 1, second part, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab. Let's talk about Ahab because the Bible says that King Ahab was one of the wickeder kings that had ever lived. He constantly did wicked things and he was more wicked than any other king that had come before him. Uh, And you read all about that in 1 Kings 16. But he was wicked. So it says, Elijah presents himself to Ahab. But before he does that, there's this communication that happens where the word of the Lord, it says, came to Elijah. And it says, go and present yourself to Ahab, and then I'll send rain on the land. Verse 2. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And you know, of all the things we could talk about with Elijah, with this guy, all the miracles that he saw in his life, how he multiplied the, the life-saving oil for this widow who's, who was going to die and her son was going to die. Um, he performed all these miracles, one on Mount Carmel and all this stuff. He goes into a depression at one point in his life. There's a lot of things we could look at, but there's one thing that we can, we can say about him that was true almost every time. When God spoke, Elijah responded immediately. Every single time, you can look at his whole story. It says, Elijah spoke, or God spoke and Elijah responded. And he has almost this, this rhythmic relationship with God where God speaks, Elijah acts. God speaks, Elijah acts. And I believe that's why God did so many great things through his life, and it's a great summary of his life. So again, let me, let me outline it for you. In verse 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Verse 2, so Elijah went. See that? Let's look at it again. The word of the Lord came, Elijah went. The word came, Elijah went. Not just one time, but over and over and over again in Scripture, and not just Elijah, but all the great men and women of God that he used, the word of the Lord comes, and then they go. The word of the Lord comes, and then they act. There's not this long period where they wait. There's not this long period where they think about it and pray about it for years. When God speaks, they act. When God speaks, they obey. And they hear and receive his word, and then they act, and they actually step out on his word. And and so I have to ask that question today. I wonder, when God's word comes to us, do we go? When God's word comes to us, do we act? When, when God's word comes to you prompting you to say something to somebody, do you say it? When God's word comes to you prompting you to give something to somebody, do you give it? When God's word comes to you prompting you to apologize, do you apologize? Whatever it is, do you act on it immediately? I wonder about that rhythm of your relationship with God. And, and really, this whole passage that we're reading about is really about a broken relationship between God's people and God. And really, that's what the entire story of Scripture is about, even today. A broken relationship with his people and God. And yet there's one man here who stands in the gap, and he has great faith to act every time that he hears God speak because of this rhythm. When the word of the Lord came, in spite of the inconvenience it would create in his life, in spite of how uncomfortable it was, in spite of what hardship it would bring his way, Elijah would go. And he would act whenever the word came to him. And if you know the rest of the story, um, Elijah is now going to present himself before this wicked king, Ahab, and he's been on the run. Uh, There's a bounty that's been placed on his head. King Ahab wants to kill this man of God, Elijah, and so to appear before the king was no small thing. It was a risk. 
uh, his life was in danger, and he still decided to do it. And, and I think that's something that we need to think about. So often, God will call us into a showdown of sorts, where the only way that God's going to actually do something is by his own power, not ours. And he's going to stack the odds up and, and, and show how great he is. And I just, I just love that. Because let me ask you a question. How many of you have heard of a guy named uh, Obadiah? A few of you. How many of you have heard of Elijah? Most of you, okay? But here's the thing. In verse 2, it says, Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. It says about Obadiah, Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. And you know, you don't hear a lot about this guy Obadiah in Scripture. You hear a lot more about Elijah. Elijah's the one where the miracles were happening all around him. He was doing these great things. The rain came, the rain stopped, all this stuff. And, and, and he made, made these big marks on history when God used them. But then this prophet Obadiah, this other prophet, this smaller prophet as we call him, you don't hear much about him. But yet when God sent Elijah to this wicked king to deliver this message, he needed Obadiah's help. And I just want to point that out because I think sometimes as Christians we think that God's not using us or God doesn't think we're valuable because we're not doing some huge thing for him. And I just want to point out that the Obadiahs, are just as important as the Elijahs. And so the moms at the room who stay at home with kids, you're just as important as any pastor who ever walked the earth. And the people who work in a business or work in a job that you're not always passionate about, I want you to know that you're just as important as a pastor or a ministry leader or whoever. It, it's not this hierarchy thing, okay? It's faith in the small things that God blesses and God honors. And in some ways, Obadiah, in a sense, he had a harder job than Elijah because Elijah, you just turn off the rain, you talk to God, he act, God responds, and then you, you're on the run. Obadiah had to stay. He had to stay under this wicked king. The Bible, by the way, says in 1 Kings 17, if you haven't read it, when Elijah was on the run, God sent these messenger birds to deliver food to him while he slept in this cave. He had the hookups with God. And then Obadiah, on the other hand, though, he was left in the regime of this evil king, and he was doing this kind of underground railroad for prophets where he was rescuing prophets' lives and, and helping them get, get their freedom because the king wanted to kill them. And, and so, so here's what I'm trying to say. Just because you feel like they're small menial tasks or you're being small in the small stuff, don't sweat that. It's important. And you're just as useful as anybody else. And, and I point this out because I'm, I'm tired of ordinary obedience getting overlooked. And I think sometimes we try to go out and do these big, risky, extravagant things for God, but then we're disobedient in the small stuff. And God's not going to honor that. He's not going to honor that. He wants our obedience in the small things, and, and he's glorified not just in the dramatic demonstrations, but in the, in the small things. So the Bible says that Obadiah was faithful, and he's devout. And, and so um, let me skip the context, because Obadiah is going to look and see that after this severe famine that's going on, this drought, it's bad. It's bad in the land of Israel. There's no water left. All the cattle are dying. And so what happened is King Ahab and Obadiah have split the territory, and they've gone out to see, is there any water, is there any rain anywhere in the land? Because we've got to do something because the people are going to start dying. This is, a, this is a serious risk. And so when Elijah comes and presents himself to Obadiah and says, take me to the king, Obadiah's got to be thinking, you're crazy, man. I'm not taking you to the king. Last time you went to the king, he put a bounty on your head. You ran. If you do that, when I bring you to him, it's not your head, it's mine, because I'm not running. And so um, Elijah says, I promise you, I'll be there. If you'll bring the king, it's time for God to show up. It's time for him to show off and show this nation who he is and the purpose that he intends to achieve. All right? If you're with me, say amen. amen. 
just making sure. Verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, this is where it gets personal, guys, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? That's a heck of a thing to call a guy who speaks for God. How about, what's up, mighty man of God? How about, hey, uh, man of faith, devout man of character who prays to God and he listens? How about man who stood for what's right even when the whole nation turned against God? But no, he says, is that you, you troublemaking son of a Tishbite from Tishbe? <laughs> Just keeping you engaged. <laughs> Write this down. Transformation and trouble go hand in hand. Don't forget that, because sometimes we forget that. When you're actually transforming your life and allowing Jesus to change you from the inside out, trouble's coming, mark my words. <laughs> it's not the opposite, which you hear so often. Oh, everything gets perfect. No, that's not true. Trouble comes. There's a bigger target on your back. So God gave Elijah this mission to transform a nation, to change this entire nation and turn their hearts back to God, to bring them to repentance. They'd strayed from the one true God. But in order for the transformation to take place, trouble was going to happen. Trouble was going to come. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And you know, this wasn't the first time, though, that Elijah had been called a name, if you know his story. This isn't the first time that he's, he was under, misunderstood. You know, there was a time where this woman, he was trying to help, and he did this great miracle for this woman, and instead of responding with gratitude, this woman said, are you going to just point out my sins, man? Get out of here. And here's the point. If you're not willing to be misunderstood by others, you're not really ready to be used by God. Because mark my words, from experience, from seeing everybody around me, from reading every character that God used in the Bible, Every single one of them from Jesus on down was greatly misunderstood by those around them. And it's going to happen to you too if you want to be used by God. So get the clarity of purpose, get the tenacity, and focus in on the mission. And don't care when you're misunderstood because it's going to happen. <clears throat> All right, verse 18. He says, <laughs> this is Elijah's retort. <laughs> I haven't made trouble for Israel. You and your father's family have. He just tells them straight up. <laughs> this could get interesting. By the way, this guy has the power to kill you, Elijah, man of God, prophet of God, speaker for God. You might want to open up this little sermon with a joke. Uh, you might want to play some nice music behind you while you talk to him. No, he just basically says, you know what, this is you, you're and your family's fault that this happened, not mine. There's a dilemma, though. He doesn't have time for jokes. He doesn't have time for music. This is serious. People are getting ready to die because of this drought. He sees the seriousness that people have turned away from the one true God and are worshiping all these small gods, and he's trying to get them to turn back to the one true God. There's no time to warm up to the idea of maybe doing it God's way. He knows what God's way is. He has to do it now. Not only are cattle dying, but there's many poor families that were not going to survive this famine, and so now's the time. Elijah had to make a decision. So basically he's saying to the king, don't go blaming God for the hard times because you certainly didn't give him credit during the good times. And we do that all the time, don't we? <laughs> I hear that all the time. It's crazy how in this world we tend to give all the credit to ourselves as human beings when everything's going right. Oh yeah, that's because we're great. And then the second anything goes wrong in the world, we blame God. You hear it all the time. Because everything's going well and we always take credit for our human ingenuity and our creativity and our progress and all the great things that we accomplish. But then the second something goes wrong in the world, the first question most people ask is, how could God allow that? Why did God let that happen? God, how can, you, how can you see this and let this? 
but then we don't give him credit for the good times and the faithful times. Something goes wrong in the world. How could a loving God? Well, what about the loving God who did all that other stuff that you attributed to your own wisdom, <laughs> to your own skills? And this might not be popular, but I just, I need us to recognize today that there's a decision point that every single one of us is going to have to come to in our life and in our mind. Who is your source and where does your help come from? Is it yourself or is it the only one who can really help you? That's what this is about. So let's keep reading. Verse 18. He said to the king, you've abandoned the Lord's commands and you followed the Baals. Now, who are the Baals? The Baals are what they believed were the fertility gods and the agricultural gods of those days. And you had to worship these gods in order for the rain to come, in order for the crops to grow, in order for there to be a productive economy. But the people at that time, what they believed is you, could, you had to worship the one true living God. They still believed in him, but you had to also worship all these other little gods on the side in order to make things happen. Because maybe their God wasn't enough to get the job done in certain areas, and so Elijah calls them out. And he offers them up a challenge. And he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. Verse 19. Summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Why Mount Carmel? Well, Mount Carmel was the epicenter of pagan worship at that time. So what he's basically saying is we're going to meet on your turf. We're going to meet on your little God's home field. And they're going to have the advantage and we're going to see who's real. He's calling them out. This is exciting stuff. And you know why? Because he knows that our God isn't scared. Our God's not nervous. Our God's not trembling. Our God doesn't shy away anytime wickedness or evil comes up against him. He stands strong because he knows he always wins. And that's the God we serve. So God wants to throw down. God wants to take this fight not only to the false prophets, but so that all of his people will see who's boss and will see who he really is. He says basically, you know what? Because this is true of us too sometimes. You want to worship other gods? You want to worship little gods on the side of me? That's fine. I'm going to come to your turf, and I'm going to show you who the real God is, and we're going to go from there. Let's do it. So God wants his people to come to this place where they can remember who the real God really is. So I keep reading here, and I love how Elijah sets this up. Watch. Elijah says, also, bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. <laughs> so now, this guy's either really hooked up with God, or he's out of his mind. Because I don't care how amazing you think you are, 850 to 1 is bad odds. Can we be real about that? That's not good odds. You're going to lose. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how resolute you are. You're in trouble. Did you know, though, that God likes to stack the odds against himself? God likes to set it up in a situation often where there's no possible human way that it could come out, but then he wins. That's how God sets it up. So he says, watch this. I'm going to your home field your home field advantage, you bring your entourage, I'll send my boy, Eliyahu, my man from Tishbe. And when you get there, I'm going to show off my strength. But let's not do it in a situation that seems reasonable, Elijah. Let's do it in a situation that seems unreasonable because that's the kind of God I am, and I'm going to come through. Our God is good under pressure. He's good under pressure. You can read all about it. Every time the odds are stacked against him, he comes through when no human ever could. And I just love that. So God's good under pressure. He's good at everything, though. God, God doesn't start tripping and freaking out when you start tripping and freaking out. He stands strong. Nothing scares him. He knows who's going to win. He knows that the battle's already won. So he basically says, Elijah, let's do this, but let's do it in a crazy way. God is the one who's calling the shots here. So they go up on the mountain, verse 20. 
Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said, and here's one of our key verses today. Don't miss this verse. We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about it. Elijah said, how long will you guys waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing because they had nothing to say. Because they had been adding on to God with all these other little gods. Here's why. The people of Israel had entered a new land. They came into this land, the promised land that God had promised to them, and they finally got there. It was the land that God said was going to be flowing with milk and honey. It was going to be an amazing place to live. He brings them there. But when they got there, they noticed that the other people who were living there didn't just have one God. They worshiped many gods. And so they were polytheists. They were supposed to be monotheists because the Bible says, Oh, hear me, God of Israel, there is but one. One. There's only one God. You don't get, in other words, you don't get to use one God on Monday and one God on the weekend. It's the same. You don't get to have the work God on Monday and then the stressed God on Wednesday and then the sex God on Friday when you go to the bar. And you don't, you don't get to go between all these different gods. There's one God all week long. That's how it's supposed to be. And so God's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stack the odds and, and I'm going to come through. It's going to be amazing. So what they're saying in this land is, hey, our God brought us into the land, this land he promised us. Ah, what's the big deal with adding a few little gods to make the crops grow? So Elijah is now here, this man of God, he's confronting their indecision. He says, your indecision, if I'm being honest, it's an insult to God. It's offensive to him. It's, you're wavering between two opinions, and frankly, God is not going to have it. Because he's the only one to be worshipped. It's kind of like dating somebody who wants to see other people. Have you ever done that? Bad idea. Anytime you date somebody that says, I want to keep my options open, they shouldn't be an option for you. That's how that works. It's just, that needs to be your response. Then I'm not one of your options. It's the same when you come to God and you're talking about, God, I want to worship you, but I want to also worship these little things. I want to worship you, but I also want to have these gods, and I also want to have these gods. And God says, I'm not an option. I am the Lord. There's no one like me, and I'm the only one worthy of praise. There is no other. You want to get with me? You want to serve me? You want to stand with me? I'm not requiring that you'll be perfect because you never will, but I am required that, requiring that you come to me wholeheartedly and that I'm the only God you serve. So let's sit down and talk about it. So Elijah says, let's go up on the mountain. Let's do our thing. Let's see whose God is capable. Let's see whose God is better under pressure. Let's see whose God is a deliverer. Let's see how the Canaanite gods perform, your fake gods. Let's see if they come through. He says again, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you straddle between two standpoints? How long will you sit there on the fence between two belief systems without picking which one you're going to fully jump into? How long will you sit there? How long will some of you sit there on the line straddling it of, well, over here, I know that Jesus has offered me grace, which means I should live without shame and live under that grace. But then I still got one foot over here which says because of everything I've done, I'm going to walk around in shame and guilt all the time. You can't be in both. This is the one God said, by the way, not this one. So you got to jump off and land on that side. And so in the same way, we, we need to not straddle that line. So God speaks. And when God speaks, by the way, and he speaks all throughout this book, it's not an opinion. It's a command. When God speaks, it's not an opinion. It, it, it's It's absolute. It's never ending. It's never changing. It's fact. When God speaks, 
He speaks, and it's truth, and it's irrevocable, and it's certain. And that's, by the way, I think what gave Elijah his boldness, because he actually believed that everything God said is law. He actually believed that everything God said is true. He knew that there were two opinions. He knew that there were two ways of thinking. He knew that they were two ways of operating. There's God's way and there's the world's way. Um, and Elijah knew, though, about his people, and he also knew about me and he knew about you, that we're fickle. We're so fickle. And we go back and forth. And, you know, I think it frustrates the heart of God sometimes that we're so fickle. It frustrates the heart of God when, when he's brought you through so many times, but yet you still fear in your heart and drop off the face of the earth and get all negative every single time anything in your life takes a dip, even though you've seen his faithfulness before. So God says, how long will you call into question my abilities and my faithfulness when you've already seen it? You know that little Hebrew phrase that Elijah uses here? I think it's such a great picture of, of how we live our lives. And you know how in English, those of you that are bilingual, you can say something, but then when you translate it into Spanish, there's a better way to say it, or sometimes vice versa? Well, that's true in the original language of the Bible, too. And I thought that I understood this verse, but I got it wrong. I thought that what Elijah was saying here was, you can't serve God and the devil. You can't serve God and the devil. How long will you waver? But you know what? I was thinking, God doesn't want anybody to serve the devil. So that's not what he was saying. That's not something God would ever say. And so I looked it up. And the literal translation, here's what Elijah actually said to the prophets. The literal translation. He actually said, how long will you limp between two branches? That's the exact verbiage. How long will you limp between two branches? Isn't that better? So it's this image of this tree that's the foundation of God that has its roots in the ground that will never, never shake, the strong foundation. And then the tree springs up and it grows and you're on this tree and then you got these two branches. One is the little twig. One is the opinions of others and the things that contradict the word of God and all these things that we put above God and these little gods that we worship. But then you got this big branch over here, which is the foundation, which is the absolute truth of God that you can stand on and that's the one that can hold you. But the problem in most of our lives is we stand over here on this twig and it's just going to crack underneath the weight of everything that comes our way and we're not standing on the truth and we're not standing on the foundation and what God wants us to do is stop wavering between these two different branches and limping between them but get back on the one that can actually hold you. That's what he's saying. I think that's a lot better picture of it and, and, and by the way, these people, they were shepherds, not farmers. They didn't understand agriculture. They'd never had their own land. This was all new to them. So when they came to this new land, they didn't know what rules to play by. And so they decided to play by the rules of that land, which is, hey, when you want it to rain, when you want the crops to come up, you worship these other little gods. But God said, that's not okay with me. That's not okay with me. So they're, what they're doing is they're adding on to the one true God. They're still worshiping God, but they're adding on to him. And many of us do that. We worship God. We do it here every Sunday. But then throughout the week, we add other things on to the one true God, and God says, this is not an add-on situation. I can't be added on to. I'm it. That's it. I'm the only one that is to be worshipped. The only one. This is not an add-on, and, and this is not some sort of decision that you get to spend the rest of your life making. I want you to make this decision today. It's right now. Who are you going to follow? Am I the real God, or are you going to add on to me? Some of you say, you sound frustrated. I think God is frustrated sometimes. <laughs> I think he's frustrated about all the time that so many of us, including myself, waste because we're not focusing fully on the one true God and we're adding on all these other little gods and we're wondering why the twig is cracking beneath our feet when we should be standing on the branch that can sustain us. And I think that's a tragedy. 
And maybe a modern illustration would be more effective, so I'm going to use my iPhone. So on this phone, I have so many different streams coming at me constantly, <laughs> right? Um, I, have, uh, I have an Instagram feed. I have a Facebook wall with everybody's dumb opinion on it, in including mine, <laughs> including mine, right? And so I'm getting all that. And then I also have, um, I have, I have my a Bible on here, by the way. I can read the Bible, the Word of God on this device uh, in any translation. Thank you to a, an app called YouVersion. It's incredible, and I do. Um, it's amazing. Um, but here's the thing. There's so many different contacts and people that reach out to me on here, and, and it's constant all day, all night. And so I'll be sitting here reading my Bible sometimes on here, and all of a sudden a text message comes through, and I find what they're trying to say to me much more interesting and distracting than what I'm reading here. And so I switch, and it's constant opinions and constant streams coming my way. And this device, in a lot of ways, is kind of like our heart. It's kind of like our heart because you go back and forth. You go back and forth, and you get distracted by all these opinions and all these streams. And God says, life is like this all day long. You've got my commands. You've got my purposes. You've got my promises. You've got my instructions. You've got all these things I've said, what I've established, the things I've done. And they're all right there. But also on that same device are all these other opinions you've collected. And all these other viewpoints you've collected. And all these opinions you've taken in. And so what you have, God says, is spiritual ADHD. And you're constantly distracted. You're limping around, hopping from branch to branch to branch and thought to thought to thought. And God is trustworthy in your mind in one moment, but then the first sign of bad news or the first sign of trouble, you spiral into this downward place of negativity and despair, and then how are you possibly going to live for God? And many of us do it that way. And so what God is saying is, I want you to stop hopping back and forth between all these different opinions and land on the only one that's true. And live according to that one. Because you come to church and you say that I'm God, but then you go home and you turn on the news and you hear that the world's falling apart and you get depressed the rest of the week. And you come to church and you say that you have hope and you say that you have joy, but then you scream at your wife the next day. And then you come to church and you, you, know, you hear all these wonderful promises of how I can change your life, but then you go to your job and you find out, oh, everybody doesn't love and support me. <laughs> and then you just spiral instead of standing on what you learned the day before and, and what you know is true. So whose report are you going to believe? How long are you going to jump back and forth between what God says and what you feel? Because they don't always line up. In fact, often they don't. If I'm God, trust me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If I'm God, quit, quit making up all these little gods that will fail you and stand on the only thing that won't, which is me. Because see, what happens is we get out there and we try to trust God and we're standing on the branch of what he said. And so we go out on a limb to trust him. And it's a limb. It's risky to trust God. And so we go out on this limb. And you know, the more you trust God, the higher the branch is. Did you know that? Because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so you're up on that branch. And you know, every time you look down, it looks higher and higher. But he is faithful. And he will sustain you. And even though it looks scary when you go down, the branch will not break. The twig will. The branch won't. And so you get out there and, 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 and it's like, all right, I'm on God's truth. I know what God says about relationships. 
you know what, though? This is easier and more comfortable for me and more convenient, so I'm going to stand over here on this twig and do that stuff with my relationships. I know what God's Word says about finances, or I know what God's Word says about, about having joy or, or not going into despair and being negative all the time or talking about people behind their back, but it's so much easier to get on this twig over here, and that's what I'm going to do instead. And we waver back and forth between two opinions. And see, we believe, we believe that our God can get us to heaven when we die. But that's not the question. The question I'm asking today is, can he be trusted with your life now? Can he be trusted with your life here on earth? The question is, will I serve God only? Or am I going to serve God and? Because only one of those is okay. You're going to just serve God, or you're going to serve God and all these other things. Only one of those works. And, and, and God says, that's what I want. I want your, for you to streamline your point of view and choose to believe that I am enough because I am and I've never proved otherwise. And then, disclaimer, if, you, if you've heard this teaching today and you think that this message is only directed at people who have committed some sin that you've never imagined before or some crazy sexual deviance or some horrible crime where they ended up in prison for 20 years or this or that, you've completely missed the point. Because these were not pagan idolaters that God was dealing with here. These were his people. These were the people that had known and worshipped him their whole lives, just like us. These were not the people that you think they would be. And, and God is simply saying, I'm tired of you choosing other gods before me. When was I ever not enough? How long will you limp between two opinions? If I'm worthy, praise me and make me number one. Because you got all these opinions, you got all these streams and all, all these things that people say and all these messages flashing across the screen and, and God says, I want to bring you up on a mountain today and I brought you here because I'm going to prove something to you. So here's how the story ends. It's awesome. God is awesome. Spoiler alert, he wins. <laughs> Let me tell you a secret, he always wins. And if you can believe that, it changes everything. God is, guys, God is not a cosmic killjoy. God is not nervous. God is not anxious. God does not worry. Um, some of you need to know that God is not Ned Flanders. Um, God is not stiff. He's not broken. He doesn't have a panic attack every time he watches CNN either. He knows it's going to work out. He knows his purposes are going to come to pass, and he's going to work no matter what happens in the world. How long will you waver? Verse 22, and I don't have time to elaborate. I'm just going to read it, give you a thought. We can sing and be gone, all right? <laughs> How long will you waver? So here's Elijah's solution. Because he not only talks about the goodness of God, now he's going to demonstrate the faithfulness of God, the glory of God. God can succeed where other gods have failed you. Ready? Verse 22. Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. So here's what you're going to do. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord, the one real God, the God who answers by fire, he is God. All the people said, what you say is good. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls. And prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. Verse 26. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. 
Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they did the Harlem shake around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a real God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until the blood flowed. And you might think that's barbaric, by the way, these customs of slashing themselves, but how many of us continually slash ourselves every week? And how many of us continually make decisions that hurt us and bring us down and take us to a point where we're not meant to be with every act of bitterness and unforgiveness and lack of apology and response toward betrayal? We're sick too. That's what I wanted to say. They're not the only ones slashing themselves. They're not the only ones with blood flowing. And so here's a picture of a people who are calling on a God who cannot answer. Here's a picture of everyone who's standing out on a twig, losing their balance because they've swayed, they've wavered from the one branch that can actually hold them, which is the truth. And so God wants to do something. He wants to, to prove that he doesn't do things contrary to the opinion of others. Verse 29, midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But guess what? There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. This is cool, guys. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. And he wasn't stacking stones. He was rebuilding the identity of a people who'd lost who they are and who no longer knew who God was. He was rebuilding it from the ground up. And these people who were running back and forth constantly between gods, he was reminding them and calling on the one true God and saying, your identity must be reestablished. And there's a decision that you need to make that I belong to him and him alone. Let's keep reading. We're almost there. God's going to win. So Elijah took 12 stones and rebuilt the altar. Verse 32. He built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two sayas of seed. And he arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. The last thing you want to do when you want to see God rain down fire and light something on fire is drench it with water. But he's stacking the odds against the one true God so he can prove himself. Um, also, the last thing you want to do in a drought is use all your water. I'm sure the city of Isaiah is going to find him. But <laughs> he likes to be the only option. So verse 36, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. And this next word, I've been taught for years, is a word that you need to include every single time you pray. Because look, Elijah says, answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know. You see that? He's adding the proper motivation to his prayer. 
He's not saying, answer me, Lord, so I don't look like a fool. He's not saying, answer me, Lord, so I do this great miracle and look great to these people. He's saying, answer me, Lord, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. I challenge you in your prayer life this week to add the proper motivation every time you pray and see what God does. I dare you. I dare you. And then here it is. The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. He was the only branch that could sustain them. Verse 40. Elijah commanded them, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. So the valley that was dry because of the drought was now running red with the blood of the false prophets. Because God is good under pressure and he will not be intimidated by evil and he will not be intimidated by lies and he will not stand by and see his people harassed by false opinions and false gods. And so now we see with Elijah, God has brought the victory. Last part, verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is the sound of heavy rain. Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. He told his servant, go look toward the sea, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go tell King Ahab, hitch up your chariot, and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. The band's going to come forward um, as we close. What a story, though. What a powerful story. What a powerful question. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you straddle that line without jumping onto the branch that will hold you? You know, I I told you last week that all the stories we're telling as part of this series, and we can't tell near enough in six weeks, but we're picking some good ones, I think. They all point to a larger story. And the star of that story is Jesus. And you know, if you fast forward to the New Testament in the book of Matthew, chapter 17, there's a parallel that takes place to this story. And it's this moment where Jesus goes up on a mountain. And those of you that know the story, it's called the Transfiguration. And Jesus actually sees uh, Moses, who we talked about last week, and Elijah, who we talked about this week. And the Bible says that he began to shine in his glory. But here's the parallel. You see, last week we talked about Moses. Moses goes up on a mountain. He comes down with the Ten Commandments. Elijah goes up on a mountain, and God comes down with fire. Jesus goes up on a mountain, and when he went up on a mountain, he didn't build an altar. He didn't sacrifice a bull. He became the final sacrifice. He was the sacrifice, and he didn't pour out water in a time of drought. He poured out his blood, which was the only thing that could really save us. And it wasn't something that any of us deserved or that we had earned, but he did it for each of us because of his great love for us. Elijah poured out the water three times. Did you notice that? 
on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave and conquered the tomb. The sky grew black and a cloud the size of a man's hand appeared and the rain finally came to the land that God promised. When Jesus died on the cross, the sky grew black. But then the dawn broke on that resurrection morning, which we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks. And the sound of redemption and the sound of resurrection echoed through eternity. And everything changed from that moment on. And that's the culmination of all these stories that we're studying these few weeks. And so this God who hung in your place and in my place, this God who became the sacrifice, this God who became the sin offering wants to know, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long? Because he says to you, oh, I long to forgive you. And I long to clothe you in a righteousness that is not your own. And I long to bring you into a land where the rain never ceases. I long to take away the stain and the shame and the sting of sin. But how long will you stand on the ideals and the principles and the feelings and the emotions that can never sustain you? It's time to stand on my word and my promises and my truth because it's the only thing that will stand forever. And we're not just talking about eternity. We're talking about here on earth as well. It's the only thing that will sustain you. And so let me just end by saying, if you walk through life constantly being negative, if you walk through life constantly complaining and constantly down and constantly wondering where is God in all this, you need to stand on this more. He doesn't break his promises. He's always faithful. Sometimes there's steps of obedience that we need to take. And sometimes there's things that we need to get straight because we're standing on a twig instead of the branch where the roots go down deep. That's where we need to live. That's where we need to stand every day of our lives. And that is when everything changes.